now it's time to play. Freshest takes on the latest movies. My name is David. And my name's Daniel. And we're still taking part in what, of course, the Halloween Spooktacular. Two months of horror. Two. Two whole months. Two whole months. Hey, guys, we're bad at counting. Uh, it is two whole months. It is eight weeks of horror, starting with last week, uh, The Nun, and this week we come back to you, continuing the Halloween spooktacular. Now, I do want to preface something a little bit here. This movie that we went you to go see. You can still get pregnant from preface. You can still get pregnant from preface. <laughs> this movie that we went to go see, which we just watched, A, a Haunting, Haunting in Venice. Venice. This movie. This movie. While spooky. Uh-huh. While Halloween. Yes. Not horror. Yes. So we lied. <laughs> we lied to you. We, we lied. We lied to you double. We oh lied to you God. double because it's not 1.75 months. It is two months. And we also lied to you because we said it was all horror all month, but it's not. It's all spooky. It's all spookies. It's all spookies. Now, of course, the rest of them are going to be horror movies, but. And I, I did think. That this one was a horror movie was more a horror movie than what it actually was, but it's really mostly spooky. Yes, but well, it does have moments. It has moments it of does, horror, yeah. um, and it is definitely Halloween spooky ghost vibes the whole movie. So we'll, we'll so take yeah. It. If you're in the spooky mood, if you are in the mood for a spooky movie, but you're not necessarily in the mood for a traditional horror movie, this is definitely a good one to go check out. I, I, I thought it was the vibes were right on. So jumping right into spoiler-free talk for this movie, can I be honest about something? Uh, only if there's no spoilers, because you said spoiler-free. If you spoiler say spoiler, I will, I, I will reach across this table and deck you in the fucking face. Do you hear me? Okay, I hear you. Okay, start. All right, so everyone dies. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now that I'm done beating off, I'm about to... <laughs> It's the slowest <laughs> I go for strength, not speed. Hey, hey, Taylor said we have to stop talking so much about cum. We gotta hey. chill out. This, you know what? After today, we're gonna be a PG podcast. Yeah, no more cursing. No, no more, more R-rated movies. No more R-rated movies. No more blood. No more guts. No more cum. None no more cum shots. No, no more. No. No, no more jizz. No, no <laughs> more of that. No splooge. No, no, no splooge. And then we're not going to say, fuck this and fuck that, cocksucker this, <laughs> which we always do. Which we always do. We're not doing, we're not anymore. doing that anymore. We want to be on the top charts, okay? We want to make, we want to be a sellout. We want to make pop music. So you know? next, next episode, we're doing Monster House. Yeah. After that, we're doing Halloween Town 1. Halloween Town 1. All right, spoiler free talk. Let's get into this. Uh, I have to be honest about something. I, I cannot tell... If I liked this movie as much as I did because the movie was really good, or if the last movie I saw was The Nun 2, and therefore <laughs> it's inflating my my perception of this one, but I actually really, really enjoyed this movie. I think I share that sentiment. Um, I, I had a lot of fun with this movie. Yeah, every character was very over the top. It felt like a theater performance, uh, uh, so it felt like a play more than anything, um, but at the same time, there was so there was a lot of room for filmmaking techniques and stuff to elevate the story. 
So just a lot of fun performances, fun tone, uh, something that I really enjoyed as we are in spoiler free talk that I really enjoyed was how like sparingly they used music. I think it worked really well and it forced you into this kind of calm, creepy setting, which is something that you don't get often in movies. They usually ham fist the music and do it way too often. So, so I enjoyed that as well. And yeah, I just, there was, there was a lot to be, a lot of fun to be had with this movie. And I love the idea of mixing this murder mystery with a little bit of horror all while in kind of like a period piece a little bit as well. So it's just, uh, and not like a boring one, like they kept it entertaining. It's easy for those to get super boring. Um, so yeah, it was done really well. And I loved the color palette in this movie too. It's like super washed and yeah, I loved it. Yeah, I, I think this movie was shot really, really well. A lot of really, like, a combination of some more traditional classic horror movie shots. Like, and I, I mean, like, like early universal movie, like, you know, the, the Dutch angles and things like that. While also some really modern techniques and some, like, just creative stuff, you know, that just being sprinkled in um, that made the movie play really well. Um, to where even like a, a movie like this could be very boring, right? Because yeah, like yeah. we've talked about some murder mysteries, which by the way, that's what we meant when we said this movie is not a, really a horror movie. It's a it's a murder mystery movie um, set in you guessed it Venice, Italy, and uh, it's uh, takes place on Halloween. So, and it has some like ghost elements, and we'll we'll get more in, into that in, in spoiler talk. But it's more of a spooky movie than it is a horror movie. I'm really a sucker for murder mystery stories in general because I think that this stems from the books that I read because almost all of the books that I read are murder mysteries and or not necessarily murder mysteries, but they're all mystery novels. And so yeah, Dave's a big Scooby-Doo fan, big so. Scooby-Doo fan, <laughs> love Scooby-Doo, uh, love Scooby-Dooby-Doo, um, Scrappy-Doo. I love. No, 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 never. No, no. Stop. Stop. <laughs> That's Don't the- you fucking ever. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, I love Scooby Dooby 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 Doo. And where is he though? Where is he? It's Scooby really Dooby Dooby Doo. So this movie being a murder mystery movie that is like also spooky, like them combining these two elements of like a paranormal spooky Halloween movie with the color palette. Like you said, I, I think that was a great point to bring up the color palette. And this this is just right perfect for the vibe of of the movie um along with this you know mystery and it's just like there was no way i was not going to enjoy this movie you know what i'm saying and so you combine this with like really theatrical performances that keep the movie fun but not like you know there's no one who's like cringe you know what i'm saying right no one's that kind of over the top which i was surprised by i was expecting i was like okay because once you get introduced to a couple characters you see the vibe i was literally wondering i was like all right who's going to be the one that's really doing too much you know right it never reaches that yeah right and i love that and i think that that makes me enjoy it a lot more i there's a ton of accents in this movie and they're all consistent so i'm totally okay with that and um we're only doing movies that are not set in America. That's it. <laughs> Apparently. Halloween Spooktacular International. <laughs> International, baby. A haunting in Venice. Across the globe. Across the globe, but only in either French people or in France. <laughs> That's right. The pacing, I thought, was really good as well. It doesn't drone on in the beginning way too... Like, the from the time that the movie opens to the time that you get the main character in the main setting is very quick. They don't drone on and, and, and make you wait for that. Um, the beginning though does have some really terrible exposition and, you know, we'll get to that, but, 
um, there's not too many complaints about this movie either because of the horror elements that exist in this movie, they're not really cheap. You know, there's not like one of the things I think was so done insanely well for this movie, which is why I really do recommend that everyone goes to see this in the theaters was the sound design. The sound design was flawless to me. Like I thought it was perfect and it was so freaking good. And uh, because of that, they like the jump scares aren't really jump scares. They're not cheap jump scares. You know what I'm saying? Like they just exist for action to take place quickly. But I don't think that they <clears throat> I don't think that they exist to make you jump and go, ah, you know, because mm-hmm. they're not like big stings that are incorporated into it. It's just actual sounds of actual things. Right. And so it works really, really well. Um, and then like, yeah, the, I think that's true, too. Um for the non jump scare moments where the sound, like as you're talking about, it, I'm kind of thinking of the movie again. It's like, yeah, there, uh, it does really well in creating an atmosphere of this slow, scary, haunting, you know, very ethereal type vibe that uh, makes you nervous for a character to walk into a certain room. Again, even though this is not a standard run of the mill horror movie there's so many moments where you do feel fear and a little bit uneasy because of the sound design it's really good yeah and the last thing i'll say is i love the lighting in this movie too the lighting was just again it's just so spooky like because the movie takes place in such an early time most of the lighting is a variation of flame lighting and um and like it's just it's the whole setting was just so spooky yeah what a great yeah great uh atmosphere place for this for this movie to take place in this kind of very almost castle-y yeah <laughs> um, but it, it's just yeah it's just it's it's beautiful all these concrete walls and it's it's scary but also pretty to look at um i don't know if i was too much of a fan of all the dutch angles and stuff i was like Ugh, it looks like security cam footage at some points like the angle itself um so it just kind of gave me a headache a little bit But that's what's so interesting is that the beginning of this movie before we get into the main setting is all exterior and just Italy. And it was so interesting how this was shot because it changes once you get inside. But I swear to God, tell me if I'm wrong. These exterior shots for the first like, what, 10, 15 minutes of the movie. It's kind of a stretch, but it looked like if Wes Anderson was shooting an A24 horror movie. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of agree with that. There were some shots that were total center frame, like pretty like pastel colors in the back. But the but the saturation of the colors on screen was like not at all what Wes would do. But it was like. So close that I was like, this looks like and an it was Wes like Anderson. Almost, it was like almost grainy. Yeah. Too, grainy. Like an A24 like horror yep. movie. Yeah. The aspect ratio was smaller, like it on was, the sides. Yeah. So it was just like, this looks like Wes Anderson doing it. It wasn't like a full, like 4 3, you know what I'm saying? But it yeah. was, yeah. I, I couldn't tell if that was a projector issue or a movie decision. I guess we'll wait until it comes out on streaming uh, in a week uh, for us to figure <laughs> that out. Um, but no, this... Um, back in my day, you had to wait my day, Wait, and then you had to go get this show on VHS. <laughs> okay? Uh, but no, this movie... Uh, I don't want to say the only reason I like this movie is because we saw The Nun 2 last week and, you know, that's inflating it, but because I want to give the movie credit where it's due, but at the same time, man, am I relieved have gone to see this movie this week same same so i think it's time to just go ahead and get into this movie let's let's dive right in monsieur delivery for you 
there's been a spoiler alert. A haunting in Venice is about Poirot, who is now retired and living in his own exile, and he reluctantly attends a seance. But when one of the guests is murdered, it is up to the former detective to once again uncover the killer. So, of course, we know that there's been a murder, okay? Um, we also know that this movie takes place in Venice. We know this place, it takes place in Venice. And here's, can you tell us why we definitely know it takes place in Venice? Well, we also get a title card. Aha. That says Venice 1947. <laughs> yeah. They're like, hey, just in case you want to know how recently Hitler died. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In uh, Italy. 1947. 1947. And then they show shots of Venice, Italy, which... Doesn't look like any other city in the world, by the way. Yeah. Uh, so we didn't need that. Submerged in water and gondolas everywhere. I think we knew. Yep. We all played Assassin's okay, Creed too. We know. Can I? Can I? Can I say something about this though? Not a fucking person eats pasta in the whole movie. Wow. Bull fucking shit. Yeah. Bull fucking shit. No one in this whole fucking movie eats pasta one goddamn time in, in Italy. You want a haunting in Venice? Here you go. Mmm, that spaghetti was so delicioso, and the meatballs, oh, fantastico. Wait, what the meatballs? There were no meatballs on that spaghetti. <laughs> but I just, oh, there is a haunting in a Venus. <laughs> <laughs> and, but of course, no, this is a, more of a murder in Venice, you know, it's like a, like when you break pasta in front of an Italian mother, a murder. Because uh, <laughs> you were breaking my heart. You're breaking my heart. All right, that's enough. Now, all jokes aside, can we get a look? Enough. Look enough. enough. That's me doing it. Yeah. <laughs> enough. Guys, stop it. Let's all quit. It's a style quit. No, I'm Hey, guys, I know that. Hey, listen, in case you guys are worried about this, yes, we are pinching our fingers together while we do these. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. In case y'all were. I know it's an audio only podcast, and that's a big part of the impression, but yes, we are doing that. Don't worry. Hey, Dave, what was that? Um, what's the name of that guy who does like the paternity test on TV and tells them whether or not they had kids? Maury? That's Maury. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I promise we will talk about the movie at some point. Um, but I do want to. So let's let's go and set this up. It's pretty simple. So, yeah, it, it's essentially what the synopsis says. We have this detective and he's uh, living in exile. Now, this detective is clearly. Like he's super famous and we start the movie out showing that he's super famous by having people chase him the second he leaves his house to tell them about the case that he wants them to solve or that they want him to solve. And it's honestly a pretty good sequence. You know, I definitely understand where you were getting this Wes Anderson from. Right. Because partially it's the pacing. And then it's also, you know, the the shot composition is just very uh, symmetrical and very architectural. You know, mm-hmm. and so, which of course, you know, if you're filming in Venice, Italy, like do that, you know, oh, I wasn't, sure. I wasn't upset by any of those decisions for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we get introduced to his bodyguard character who immediately just knocks some dude on his ass and he's yeah. like, Hey, I've told you, Hey, listen in motherfucker. <laughs> I fucking told you I'm going to break your fucking leg. We have every type of Italian in the movie. So, uh, no, <laughs> you put one more fucking hand on this motherfucker. You only got one hand left. You hear me? Yep, that's what he tells him. No, this is what kind of reminded me even more so of uh, Wes Anderson, too, is like the, the physical comedy and like the quirkiness of it all. Like like you had said, when the bodyguard hits him down, someone just steps over him and goes, excuse me. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? And then like That's later, just, they're just yeah. walking on a, like a bridge and then 
someone tries to come up to him and he just pushes him into the canal. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so very quick, like, yeah, just quirky, you know, shit, but it works. Like, like we said, it does work and, uh, the pacing is, is good and it's fun. And it, it definitely sets the tone because immediately I'm like, okay, this movie's not going to be a traditional horror movie. Right. That's for sure. Yeah. Because it's actually entertaining to begin every horror movie. Listen, <laughs> I love horror. I really do. But they're outside of Sinister, every horror movie starts like shit. <laughs> like every, they all just start boring as fuck. But anyways, um, this movie. But I digress. This movie doesn't do that. I digress. This movie actually is pretty entertaining. So then we get introduced to one of the main characters of this movie, and, and it's Tina Fey's character. Now, is she going to be the only actress whose name I know without having to look up? No. What are you talking about? <laughs> I know all about the rest of them, well, clearly. Um, but she, this is the the part of bad exposition because she <laughs> explains who she is and who what her relationship is to this man via dialogue, and she's not even talking to him. She's kind of like just talking out loud. She's like, "Man, I mean, a million best selling novels of these, all these, uh, you know, crime, yeah, and if know, you're murder mystery novels that I've written based off of you and your ex, you know, it's like, okay, <laughs> yeah." And if you're wondering, like I said, we have accents all throughout. Her character is from America, so her accent is. Have you ever seen the episode of Parks and Rec where they do they drink the snake juice at the yeah. Snake Hole Lounge, um, and then Aubrey Plaza's character is doing Janet. A snake hole and she's like yeah she yeah my father she that's that it's this 1950s like yeah, yeah. she it's like very like this yeah and then that's not too but it's also just tina fey mostly yeah. but it was like <laughs> it was fun but it was just like i think it what would it helped the movie with is it is the pacing when you talk like that that means you talk fast so you get through your lines quick and it has a comedic effect too because she does have some really good lines later in the movie so again even the american accent in this movie was fun as well like just fun characters again it's really because the period piece part of it was done yeah. pretty well yeah i enjoyed you know, it, it it wasn't like it made it was one of those things where the setting is what makes it a period piece but the movie is not about being a period piece and i think some yeah. period pieces are too much like that you know what I'm saying? Where there's not, like, the plot is just so reliant on that. Like, if this movie was set today, it would the, the structure of it wouldn't change that much. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? I see what you're saying, yeah. And so, because of that, I think that it just adds to the movie instead of takes away from the movie. And so, we get introduced to this character, and basically what she's saying is, there is a psychic, and I am a skeptic, you are a skeptic, and I've seen stuff from this psychic that is turning me into a believer. And he's like, it's all bullshit, so I don't know what you're talking about. And she's like, well, I know, I know it's fake. Like, I know that. But right? like, if you could figure out how, <laughs> well, yeah, she's basically like, okay, well, listen, fine. If she's a phony, fine, but I can't figure out how she's faking it, so I need you to figure out how she's faking it. Basically, she's like, okay, in case you didn't know, it's Halloween. And this is one of the things that America brought to Italy during the war was, you know. So he is invited to a Halloween party at a mansion that used to be an orphanage that is being put on for the kids in the town. So 
Already great setting. Okay, awesome. We're going to a former orphanage <laughs> on Halloween night. Yeah. Fantastic. Then they introduce, which all the costumes are like 1940s costumes, which look incredible. I love these. They're like scarier than costumes now. It's insane. Yeah, like if you took the a still frame of the costumes and then just put it in black and white, it would look terrifying. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and I absolutely love it. It's just like, dude, it's so spooky. And then, dude, do you want to talk about the freaking puppet show that they do? Uh, I, I'm glad they mentioned in the movie, is this not too scary for the kids? <laughs> because I was thinking that, bro. This puppet show was so good. Yeah, the puppet show was awesome. Um, this gives this is how they kind of do the exposition for the history of the building. And this is how you should do exposition. This is awesome. Yeah, earlier exposition, god-awful, dog shit. Yeah. This, really good. Really good. Not only as a story device, but visually, the way that they do it is they do this puppet show behind a white sheet with a bunch of shadows and light and little... Uh, cutouts of all the different people and settings and so it's very jagged and creepy and imagine like nightmare before christmas uh type of like geography of the characters and stuff so it's just very jagged and and yeah and it gets pretty gruesome but the story that they're telling in this puppet show um is essentially that there were a bunch of orphans uh in this building that were being treated by nurses and doctors and then during the plague, during the plague, and then they were left to die. Was this? I didn't. I don't remember the cause of the death. Like, like was there like a fire or anything? I don't remember. No, they were just saying that they were literally locked in the orphanage oh, and okay. left to die. They were just abandoned. Yeah, they were general. abandoned. They were locked in the orphanage, left to die, um, because you know the doctors, whatever, because they couldn't treat them from the plague. So the assumption is they either died of starvation or died from the plague. Um, which is a really fucked up story, but then yeah. they end it and they like kind of spin it for the kids and like, so now they want to kill all, every doctor and every nurse. We don't have any doctors or nurses in here, do we? And the kids are like, no. And they're like, well then let's start the party. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, okay, they spin it there at the end. But yeah, I mean, I, dude, I love that Tina Fey line though. Like, I, I know what you're saying like she has a lot of good lines. This one I thought was just a good line in general, not funny where like the detective is, he's like, um, this is not too scary for the kids. And she says, horror stories make real life less scary. And I was like, oh, I like that. Yeah. Which she is a writer. And so her character has a bunch of bars throughout the movie <laughs> for sure. True. Um, but yeah, and this scene was just really cool. Not only uh, uh, the the vibes that it gives off and how like, oh, this is kind of creepy, but it's also, which I think puppet shows have such a good, I've seen puppet shows in multiple horror movies and even non-horror movies that are just kind of creepy. And this is one of them. I think it's so cool looking and uh, visually yeah. it's just, it's dope. The setting is, is fantastic. This house is very creepy, spooky, scary. The lighting, like I said, is just really f phenomenal. Um, and since it's so big, it's so there's a lot of echoes, reverb, like all. So yes, the sound perfect, design yeah. is absolutely perfect. Um, the, the creaking, like the just subtle creaking of the house, is really good too. <laughs> yeah, the creaking, dude. Me, me just saying. There's the door. <laughs> it's so creaky. It's so creaky in here. God, this door smells horrific. <laughs> is that a ghost? <laughs> is that a ghost? <laughs> Um, but yeah, the, <laughs> the setting is fantastic. It's also raining outside. So that helps too. Oh yeah. Um, and then the, so basically what they're saying, okay, we're going to come to this party for the kids. Um, the host of the party is this woman whose daughter died at this house. 
um, a year ago or whatever. Like I, I don't remember the time frame. But and the party is going to conclude. The kids are going to go home, and then this woman, this uh, medium, is going to come over, and she's going to perform a seance to try to, you know, speak to the daughter who who passed away. Um, but yeah, so her introduction is actually baller, dude. She walk, she do they all they needed was some Rick Ross music behind her when she was pulling up. <laughs> She comes in on this gondola and she has this kind of witchy looking robe on and she has this really cool mask with a tear coming out of it. This like porcelain mask. So it's it just looks very cool. But what makes it work so well is, again, there's no music playing. There is no like here's her theme song. It's just very quiet. And you hear the water, the gentle strokes of water. I'm like, I hope this is the medium. Right. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, it, this looks like like some Edgar Allan Poe, the red mask. Yeah, type of it shit, does. You know? But it's sick. It looks so cool. Which Edgar Allan Poe was referenced in this movie, too, which I was glad they did because some of the elements in this movie did remind me of Edgar Allan Poe uh, uh, short stories. Mm-hmm. Just like, you know, oh, everybody together and the mystery of different things. And then just like that and talking that, bird, that inclusion with. You know, paranormal things into regular life. Now, this is where we get introduced to the medium after she does get to the castle. What, what is it called? It's a house. It's a house for sure. It's just a quiet little home, American dream in Italy. Um, so she gets introduced. This is Michelle Yeoh um, from Oscar winning film, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Yeah. And her, her, her presence and her personality is very off kilter for sure it's very it keeps at least to me it keeps you guessing a little bit yeah because she had kind of want you kind of want to believe yeah tina Fey's character right but then it's also like ah, oh, but you want the detective to call her out and, yeah. and figure it out yeah you know yeah. but it's like what if he can't like that wouldn't that be cool it would actually be really because the whole point of tina Fey's character is she's trying to write a book about this woman so her goal is for this woman to be real and she can say she fooled me and this detective. Yeah, right. That's the goal here. Um, And so, yeah, uh, she gets introduced and now we get a little bit more introduction to each character a little bit. You kind of... Yeah, so you have... uh, Okay, so here are the characters that, that we have so far. We have the detective and we have the writer. And then we have the detective's bodyguard who is a, a former cop, Okay. Then we get introduced to the um, housekeeper, and she is a very religious person who doesn't believe in any of this mumbo jumbo, and she was very close with the daughter who passed away. Now, uh, we also have a, the doctor. The doctor is, what well, I, I thought he was a drunkard at first. Did you feel like that too? Yeah, like because his of his twitching and... And his son having to check in on him all the time. Yeah. So it turns out he's not a drunkard. He's just... He has PTSD from the war. Yeah. And we're, you know, two years removed from the war. So it's not that long ago. And uh, which is a good uh, introduction as well is his son. Um, his yeah. son is the, is, a, is the one reading Edgar Allan Poe. <laughs> yeah, small child who is very, like, Richie Rich. Uh, not Richie Rich. Um, he kind of reminds me of Jonathan Lipnicki. When he was younger. So this kid's very smart, extremely intelligent, obviously is kind of a caretaker for his dad, weirdly, even though he's an actual child. Um, but uh, he clearly. Yeah, the get, mature kid archetype. You, you, exactly. We've all seen it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, pretty funny, too, like uh, his introduction, because he's just kind of like, I'm not really interested in this party. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. The, the host is like, don't you want to go play with the other kids? And he's like, don't you think reading scary stories on Halloween is appropriate? <laughs> and Dave is like, let's go. 
Let's fucking go. <laughs> I'm not here to eat cookies. I'm here to get scared. Maybe no, 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 both. No, 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 no. I'm eating cookies and getting scared. I'm eating cookies um, and getting see, scared. You I know it. that. Uh-huh, I got it before you. Um, <laughs> For sure. But uh, yeah, so uh, we... Uh, what other characters do we have? We we also so we so we get introduced to the so we have the doctor and his son, and then we get a surprise introduction to a character who we didn't expect to show up. But this character is the ex fiance of the girl who died. Ooh, yeah, drama, Ooh, drama, and no one knows how he got invited. No one knows how he got invited, but he's like, I'm here, so I'm gonna come in. And then the owner of the house is like, You're not allowed in here. He's like, Fuck you, I do what I want. Yeah, I will say this was my least favorite character in the movie. This was the least favorite character. I think his acting was the worst as well. Probably um, for the majority of the movie. I think it gets better towards the end, but for the majority of the movie, yeah, it was pretty bad. Um, He's also the only one that doesn't have a fun accent. That's true. Sorry, bud. He's like, oh, I live in New York now. And I'm like, dude, you could have come in. <laughs> come on. <laughs> With a New York accent. <laughs> but no, he's like, hello, everybody. I am from New York. I am from New York, and I'm here because I have a right to be. <laughs> he sounds like an anime villain. He's a fucking You can't prick. defeat me, Yugi. So what we know about him is that shortly before the woman died, the the girl, uh, we, we say the girl, she was a grown woman, but she was living with her mom at the time of her death because she wasn't, you know, she was ill. Um, but she, you know, she was a grown woman at this at this point, but like probably early and her 20s. name was and her name. It was Alicia. Alicia. That's why I said last and name Drake. Hey, Drake. <laughs> Best the, rapper. The girl. Bling. The girl. <laughs> So now that we've gotten introduced to all of our characters and they're all in the same room, uh, which the room that we are in is the bedroom of the daughter who died. That's right. And it has not been messed with since she died, since she died. So you have even like a plate hanging off of the table like that comes in play later. Yep. The mom is very specific that nothing got moved because she's grieving and she wants to remember it as is. So they're all in her room and we're about to begin this seance. So, yeah, we this is like the inciting incident, essentially, of the I mean, I guess not technically the the inciting incidents of a murder mystery is when the murder happens. True. Uh, But this is a really exciting part. I think this is shown in the trailer the most like the seance sequence. Um, And it starts off pretty cool, right? So it's uh, they have a typewriter instead of a Ouija board and she's trying to conjure, you know, the the uh, the dead. Right. And so as she's doing so. She has her hands held out and she's not, she's like the, the typewriters across the room and she has her hands held out and then she types letters. And the way this is shot also feels like a Wes Anderson movie, but also kind of like Edgar Wright too, in yeah. a way, because we a have these like really quick cuts and then zoom ins because every time she types, they pull the whole page out. So it's like click and then it shows like the page and then it's like, yes. And it's like just the letter Y. Yes. Right. Um, really well done how they decided to do this. And it, it kind of goes to your point earlier about it's not a jump scare, but it is an actual noise that is kind of alarming at points. Yeah, it's not bass boosted. It's yeah. not. It sounds like a typewriter. Yeah. It, like, uh, that's that's the thing that bothers me when they do those shitty jump scares. I'm like a door slamming does not sound like a sledgehammer hitting bricks. <laughs> right, right, right. You know what I'm saying? So it's like it's that kind of shit like this movie does the sound design perfect because the loud sounds are things that are loud, like a fucking typewriter. Right. And so, or a mirror shattering, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah, Because later, like, you know, they, they, you, they play the typewriter sound again because, you know, once everything is, is kind of, uh, revealed and it sounds the exact same. 
mm-hmm. as during this, the spooky sequence. So she does this whole seance thing where she's like doing this like show and dance where, you know, she's like, is somebody there? Were you here? Wait a minute. What you were murdered, and then like she like does it again. It's like the, exactly. So end. I guess some backstory here is that the daughter died, and they thought it was a suicide. Right, but they so they don't necessarily think it's a suicide because most of the people, and including the even the police in this town, are so superstitious that they actually think that the daughter was killed by these ghost orphans. That's right, because the the daughter was hearing. Voices and seeing things and was feeling the the haunting of all the former orphans in this place um, right before her death where she fell off of a balcony. And they also have a special mark of the orphans that just kind of looks like a hand scratching because they say they were scratching at the door to be let out um, and they found her with her uh, back scratched. That's right. So spooky, very spooky. And now we're conjuring her spirit. Yeah. And so at first, again, just like everybody else, we're all kind of on board. Right. Of like, how is she doing this? I mean, this is pretty spooky, scary. If I saw somebody typing a typewriter that's across the room, I'd be part of I'd be like, okay, that's fucking scary. So, you know, she's doing all this stuff. And then the detective just pauses everything. He's like, stop, stop. Hey. Ayo, pause. Ayo, pause. Ayo, pause. Um, and then he goes up to the chimney and he just opens the latch and a dude falls out of the fucking chimney. And he's like, all right, well, here's the uh, other partner that you guys didn't see who also came in here and picked the lock to get into the room, even though there's only one key. And also, here's his magnetic switch. And he clicks it and then the typewriter types. Boom, busted. Like, Boom, busted guy. And then they're like, oh, a fake. So then he's like, okay, this woman's a fraud, blah, blah, blah. Pretty cool then, moment. Boom. Out of nowhere, she starts spinning like crazy. In circles. In circles. She starts to point at everyone as she's trying to talk to Alicia. Now, this is a part. Spoiler alert for the rest of this episode. Let's go this, ahead. And spoiler alert. Let's go the ahead. And the spoiler, spoiler alert. We are this. in spoiler talk, so we're they, allowed to do this. We they, are allowed to do this. They do not explain how she does this. Here we go. This is because when we say like they combine these things, they really do keep spooky elements of it, which I think they, it was so well done. Where even though a lot of stuff does get explained, they do not explain how this happened and then a couple of other ghost sequences are still legitimate, right? So. As she's spinning around, she starts to speak in Alicia's voice mm-hmm. and like on and off. It cuts back and forth between Michelle Yeoh's actual voice and then the actual voice of the actress who plays Alicia. So it's not uh, again. We, this doesn't get explained how all of a sudden she can conjure. Uh, yeah. yeah. Everything else in the movie does get it explained. It gets explained. Yeah. Yeah. But this does not, which I love because Aha. you get to keep some mystery and some spookiness in, it's, in it's the It's the inception movie. top. Right. Spinning. We, look, it's classic storytelling, baby. Right. Um, so she does all of this and then she's like, okay, somebody murdered her. Okay. The detective goes and bobs for apples. It's a whole thing. It really doesn't matter. But yeah, she pretty much is like, you should live your life, detective. And have he's some like, fun. And he's like, well, you know what? I'm gonna bop for some I'm kind of silly goober. Fuck it. <laughs> you know what? Screw it. I'm gonna bop for some apples. And you okay. know what? I want to bob apples. I'm gonna bop some apples because I'm gonna live my best life. That's right. And um, the shot, honestly, slay queens. The slay. shot is like a POV of the bowl. And so you see his face go down and bop for apples. And he does this really weird little tongue thing with the apple. And it made <laughs> it, me so uncomfortable. It was so funny. <laughs> and it was like, oh, this is why grown men are not supposed to bop for apples. <laughs> 
Exactly. Anyway, this is the exact reason. But just had no, to point that you, out. You know exactly what's going to happen. Like this was so predictable. Uh-huh. Where somebody comes up behind him <gasps> and holds his fucking head underwater and, until he passes out and drowns him until he dies. That's the murder. <gasps> Wait, unless. He doesn't die, he but doesn't then you hear die. screaming, and then they run into the other room, and Michelle Yeoh's character has been pushed over a balcony, and she has been impaled by a statue that's holding like up an arm, and then she gets stabbed through that. Now, this movie is PG-13, and the biggest issue with that is when this woman is impaled through her stomach with a statue, there's no blood, <laughs> which I thought was just kind of silly, right? Here we go. So we're going to go through, because again, this is a murder mystery, so everything kind of plays the same. Yeah, this is this is definitely the, like, it's the most structured part of the movie, because this whole middle act is just like every other murder mystery, where the detective, uh, with the aid of his little writing partner friend, is like, let's go in- interview and interrogate each and every character involved. Right. So... We're going to go through all of the characters and their motives for killing Alicia and the other person. Okay. And also just keep in mind during this whole time, a bunch of spooky stuff is happening too, which makes the movie really good. So that's right. Everything we talked about in spoiler free talk, that's the main reason we want you guys to go see this movie because of the cool, the way that the movie is filmed, the color, the spookiness, the sound design, all of that exists. But we're not going to bring up every single instance of those things existing because <laughs> there's no point. <laughs> but just know, like, the movie was shot and just edited and put together really well. We have the brother and sister duo that are the assistants to the psychic. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so they're the ones who, like, fake everything for her, essentially. And their motives are this. They are both, like, previously they're con artists and thieves. Like, that's how they survived. And they were, you know, essentially... Running around on the streets during the war and barely surviving with each other by, you know, doing different cons and th- stealing and whatnot. And their motive is that maybe they wanted out. Maybe they wanted they were afraid of this woman, you know, not you know blowing up after this book and everything and then not taking her, not taking them with her. So they're just going to take all of her money now and run. And, you know, they would never be able to survive on their own because, you know, they would she would they would be too afraid that they would out her. So, you know, they're just going to kill her to get rid of her. So she's not a threat to them and then they can just run. Um, then we have the housekeeper. Her motive for. This was my favorite uh, interrogation scene. Yeah, this way. scene was really, really well shot. It's got this like motivated lighting of this blue like light coming through from the storm and the moonlight and then the streetlights. Uh, it just has these giant windows that just perfectly frame the scene really well. Her motive is that she was actually in a covenant to become a nun. She is extremely religious, and she even called the psychic woman a a, a satanic. So she was really she expressed this like early on in the movie. She was really, really, really against this a whole seance idea. But the reason why she wanted to be a part of it is revealed a little bit later. But she does. And her uh, one of the things that happened during the seance is when the person was you know spinning around blah blah, blah and she's like saying what, what happened to you what happened to you whatever one of the, like she ends up typing onto the typewriter again even though they don't have the magnetic switch anymore and it types the letter M and they assume that it's for murder and so during this sequence they have like this shadow of this giant M on the wall and then now the detective is thinking about what the M could have also meant. And he asked her, he's like, who was your saint when you, 
you know, we were when you were becoming a nun, she says, St. Mary. Okay, so now, you know, she has some, uh, not only, like, actual motive, you know, like, real-life motive, because she thinks that this person is dangerous and going to take advantage of the family and blah, blah, blah. She has also a, a paranormal motive or, you know, case against her, a paranormal case against her. So then we also have the uh, ex fiance clear motive for him, obviously, right? <laughs> because, um, you know, this woman who's saying that, you know, the, the daughter was murdered. Well, maybe he murdered her, you know, because then uh, it wouldn't have been her, him, him and her fighting and then, you know, whatever. So, yeah, he's full of rage. He's full of rage. So it could have been him. Which we learned this, you know, pretty, pretty early on. That he's he, as soon as he's introduced, he's just a fucking rage filled dickhead. He's a prick. And his motive uh, also, like, when we when during his investigation, it's also kind of revealed, okay, well, maybe he's not as bad of a guy as we thought, right? Because the mom, the interview with the mom, she says, this guy is just trying to marry whoever has the most money because that's all he cares about. And when he realized that I didn't have enough money for her, he left her. And so, and then he went to go marry someone even richer. And, you know, now he, he's also a chef. You know, they, they mentioned that now he, his new uh, fiance has bought him a freaking bistro in New York and he's got his own place, whatever. So that, that's what we were thinking about this character. Goals, TBH. <laughs> <laughs> Just, you want a sugar mommy? Hell yeah. But during the interview with the fiance, it's kind of revealed that wasn't the case. He's like, oh, didn't you hear the story? I just wanted money. And then what he really says is, I couldn't marry her because when you marry somebody, you're marrying their sometimes sometimes when you marry someone, you're marrying their mother, too. And they're like and literally Tina Fey kind of like calls him out because he's like, I, I knew I would always be second to her mom and that she wasn't going to you know want to spend her life with me. And Tina Fey is like, OK, so you left a woman because she made you feel small. Oh, then she might as well just put her finger up to her eye. Like, oh, baby, oh, the woman had a strong relationship with her mother. She didn't have issues that you could prey upon. Fuck you, bro. She basically said to him, you're not that guy, pal. Trust me. You're not that guy. Right. Um, and he's like, I mean, yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Um, but yeah, so it's kind of like, okay, well maybe he's not, you know, he wasn't such a terrible guy that the mom is saying, and the mom is a little obsessive and possessive, a little much, a little much. Um, so yeah, you can kind of see where he's coming from with that, but you know, and then he's like, well, but then he says when she got sick, her mom wouldn't let me come see her. She wouldn't show her any of my letters. I came back here to beg her to take me back. And she, you know, I wasn't even allowed to speak with her. And so we're like, okay, well, you know, that's a little bit different than the stories that we've heard before. Then we have the writer herself and the bodyguard. And basically what's revealed about them too is that they are in cahoots. They're in cahoots. They're in cahoots with right. each other. Um, because they have tricked the detective into coming here. The bodyguard, when he was a police officer, he was the one who was first on the scene when this, when the daughter died, when Alicia died. And so that, you know, whole case haunted him. And it just, it was the reason he, um, haunted him in Venice. And, uh, <laughs> uh, it was the reason why he retired in the first place. So he has this motive because he brought the detective here to, uh, have him investigate this murder because he could never let it go that he never got answers as to what happened. And so he partners up with the writer lady who is here because she wants to write another fucking book. She actually was working with the psychic 
to help her trick everyone. And she actually had the trigger to the door that goes flying open during the seance, which I know we didn't bring up, but that that's like one of the things she's like, well, come on the door though. Like she even says, she's like, yeah, Yo, how do you explain the door that I came up with? <laughs> <laughs> right. And so he's like, okay, so she has the trigger for the door flying open. Um, so she was helping the psychic because she was wanting to trick the detective into thinking the psychic was legitimate. And then she could write this book saying the psychic fooled me and fooled the detective. And boom, she's got another bestseller novel. And she's like, you're only famous because of me in the first place. No one fucking knew who you were until I wrote books about you. And so, you know, you're lucky that, that I'm here, blah, blah, blah. So they don't necessarily have any motive for the murder, but they are now suspicious. Right. Um, but it's pretty much understood that like, Whoever killed Alicia, if she was murdered, is also who it's killed the psychic, right? Like, that's kind of what we're assuming throughout the movie. Yeah. Um, so then let's talk about some of... if you can kill once, you can kill again. You can kill again. Um, now, the doctor, uh, his interview was mostly just him talking about what it was like being in the war. And then the detective kind of, I guess, sympathizing with him. Um, and that there wasn't really a strong motive for him to kill either person. But the biggest issue that he has is that he didn't even he didn't do the autopsy very well on this on the psychic because like he, they immediately the doctor is supposed to go, you know, review what happened in the psychic. The main thing he misses is that they have a precise time of death because she was wearing a watch and it smashed against the statue when she died and it broke. So they already know when she died. You know what I'm saying? So it's like he's not a very good doctor. He's not. And so we're very good dad. <laughs> so then, so then that, you know, it's not like his motive is like not really about, um, you know, he wanted to kill anybody or anything like that, but just like maybe he could have killed Alicia by incompetence as a doctor. Yeah, just negligence, just yeah. negligence and not knowing how to treat her psychologically, which the, the fiance brings up, by the way, he, he calls the doctor out for that. Then the only other subject, the only other suspect is the little boy. And the little boy uh, is like, well, I was in the kitchen with the caretaker and my, so was my dad, who was the doctor, by the way. Um, and so that's that's everybody's motives. OK, yeah. Now, here's a spooky scene that we get that I want to talk about because spoiler alert, it's my favorite part of the movie and it's the basement scene. So at a certain point in the movie, like throughout the whole movie, the detective is seeing and hearing things. Spooky thing. It is so good. It is so good, guys. When he starts to hear the sounds of someone singing in the house, like a little girl singing in the house, the sound design of this singing was incredible. It was so perfect. It was so subtle. The directional aspect of it was so perfect. There were just so many parts of that that I really enjoyed. And it was just so spooky. And he's also been seeing visions of Alicia. And then he goes and he like tries to find where he's hearing the singing coming from. And he like ends up talking to a little girl. And basically like, the, again, this is another thing where they're okay. Let's drop the ruse. You know, everything is real. Um, and then they get, they get us with this. And I, I've loved it so much. So he, he goes upstairs and he's talking to this little girl. And he's like, you were here during the party, weren't you? And she shakes her head. Yes. And you're like, Oh, there actually is someone else in the house. Mm -hmm. And he's like, okay. And you, and when everyone left, you were hiding and you stayed and she's like, yes. And he goes, and did you, did you hear the murder? And then she shakes her head. Yes. And he goes, did you see someone? And she sh shakes her head. Yes. Again. And then he's like, who did you see? And then literally Tina Fey's character comes up and goes, who are you talking to? 
you sound insane right now. <laughs> no, she's like, who are you talking to? Very classic ghost story thing. And he turns around and he's like, oh, and she's gone. Ooh. And then you hear a big bang. A super, and the whole house is shaking. And then this sequence, like the, the literally the detective at this point is just out of his fucking mind. So this is shot really well. Of this, like, it kind of looked like uh, what I think the weekend was going for during his Super Bowl halftime performance, where he holds the camera <laughs> facing him and he's running through the the maze, the funhouse maze. You remember that? Yeah. This kind of looks like that. Like, it's what he wanted it to look like, at least. Um, but no, it, it's like this, like po, not POV, like still. It's like the camera is fixated on the detective, and it's a still shot of him while everything else around him is shaking, but he's like, you know, stabilized. And yeah. so he's like, yeah. They used it in uh, Requiem for a Dream. Have you guys ever seen that movie, Requiem for a Dream? Dude, that movie's messed up. But good, dude. It's good as fuck. And this scene was also really good. And uh, like everybody's like, what's happening? They're starting to freak out. They're like, well, obviously it's the ghost and blah, blah, blah. And then everything's like pauses for a second. And then the detective is like, the sound is coming from the basement. And the woman's like, there is no basement in this house. He's like, Oh, really? And he starts walking down the hallway, and he gets totally fooled by this Looney Tunes ass fucking <laughs> painting on the wall True. that just looks like a longer hallway, which, to be fair, I got tricked by it, too. I thought oh. it was a very long hallway. And he goes up to it, and it's just a wall, and then he kicks it open, and it's a basement. Um, at this point, I'm like, fuck no, fuck no baby. <laughs> But of course, the detective is going to go down there. God damn it, bro. What the fuck? Bro, fuck that. Fuck this. Okay, haunted house. <laughs> Murderer somewhere in the house. And you're going to go into the boarded up. Ba- Bro, fuck that. I, dude, no, not in a million years. Not in a million years could you convince me to go in that fucking basement. Me either. Uh, and you're right. This is one of the scariest, creepiest sequences of the movie. I loved this scene. So they go down into the basement. And it's, dude, again, the lighting is just so perfect because it's it's like pitch black and they can really only see themselves. And then as they see, start seeing some light, you see that there is some lights coming in through uh, some windows in there. And they see that the storm has pushed over one of these like pillars that's in the, the, the canals. And that is smashing against the, the whole house. And it's like really like causing a lot of damage. And that you're like, oh, OK, again, another perfectly reasonable explanation for another spooky thing, right? Until the camera tilts down and sees the freaking something crash through the window and smash into the face of a fucking corpse of a child. And then bees fucking fly out of it and start coming for them. So I'm like, okay, corpse of dead child, bees, fuck no. This basement was a bad idea. <laughs> I can't believe you fucking went down there. I thought it was going to be a hit. turns out it fucking sucks. <laughs> yeah. I was like, what the... F- Dude, that was so good. I was like, that's the fucking scariest thing that's happened in this movie. Holy shit. And it, I just loved it so much. And during this whole sequence, which, again, this sequence is done really well, because this is happening at the same time that the doctor and the ex-fiance are fist fighting. <laughs> right. Which, this is another thing where it's like, I like the way this was shot really a lot because and more so I like the way it was edited where they go back and forth between this fight and the the basement scene and it's just like still and calm with like a bunch of you know like noises and then to chaos and then to still and calm and then to chaos and just kind of keeps going back and forth until like the doctor has literally gotten to a point where he's right about to kill the fucking guy 
he literally smashes the fiance into a fucking window and is about to push his head onto the a shattered piece of it. And it literally takes his son to come and calm him down before he kills this guy. So very, very intense fight sequence. And the again, the only thing that issue I have with this fight sequence is that again, PG 13. So there's no, they don't, their noses don't bleed. Their faces are not bruised and blood. I'm like, okay, you guys have never been punched in the face. Whoever decided that neither of these guys has a single mark on them from punching each other in the face several times. Maybe they're both weak. Or maybe they're both very <laughs> strong. <gasps> so this leads to the doctor being asked to be put into the mom's music room. She's a, a an opera singer or formerly opera singer. And they lie him down and they're like, okay, well, I'm going to give you the only key and you can keep it safe to the detective. And then later they hear noises coming from that room and they go in there and he's dead. He's dead. So now we have two. This is a double murder mystery. It's also a triple murder mystery because you also have Alicia. And we're all assuming that whoever killed Alicia killed the psychic. And we're also now assuming whoever killed Alicia killed the psychic and killed the doctor. That's right. And now, again, if you remember the story from earlier, they said that the spirits of these uh, orphans who died, only they are trying to get their revenge on nurses and doctors. Well, guess what? We have a doctor who has died, and then we find out that the medium used to serve and was a nurse in the war. Yep. So the nurses and doctors have been murdered. So now you have, here's another uh, suspect, the the, spirits. Co- the ghost. Yeah. The spirits. And so they kind of keep up this thing throughout the rest of the movie. Like, is it actually the ghost or not? You yeah. know? And the answer to that question is kind of, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it wasn't the ghost of the children, but there are some ghost elements that are just go unexplained entirely. And the detective even admits that later. But what ends up happening is he, finds the other half of a torn picture from the uh, from the daughter who tore a picture of her and her ex-fiance and the ex-fiance keeps one half of the picture and he finds the other half. So then he does the end sequence. The the every murder mystery does this the it was the butler and then they do the how he killed everyone and then showing all the evidence. That's right. You know, you want to run down uh, what actually happened. The Detective has everyone in a room in the kind of like the entryway of the house. And he's like, aha, I know who did it. And he looks right at the mom of the daughter and he says, you idiot, you stupid bitch. It was you. (laughs) (laughs) And everyone is like, what the hell? Oh, my God. No way. And the whole process is, uh, just to kind of put it as brief as possible, the mom was growing a very specific plant that is poisonous, and she was making that into honey, and so it's a poisonous honey, and she was keeping her daughter sick on purpose so that she wouldn't leave her, and so that she wouldn't marry that fucking asshole, and in the process of that, some shit went awry. Because the one moment that she was not able to kind of keep her sick at her steady pace, she had the housekeeper watch Alicia one night. The housekeeper 
once the Alicia starts going a, too crazy and like wild with it, uh, because again, this is a poisonous flower that does cause halluc- uh, what do you call it? hallucinations? Yeah, psychosis. Psychosis. Halluc- hallucinations. So the detective has pointed that out, like. Hey, that's why I'm experiencing weird phenomenon right now. Yeah, so this honey was used way early in the movie to give everyone tea. And, like, the mom is even like, I don't remember having anything in my cupboard. And she's like, well, well, I found it somewhere else. I found it in a linen closet, essentially. Everyone here has been consuming this poisonous honey this tonight. Right. And so the mom was keeping her sick with this honey. And one night when she has the housekeeper watch Alicia... Uh, once she starts, once Alicia starts to go into a crazy kind of fit of um, bewilderness or whatever you want to call it, hysteria, she does what she thinks m- mom would do. So she's like, "Here, take some of your calming tea," and she puts more of the already, you know, that she's she's already been dosed with this shit. She does extra doses of this honey yeah, in like her three tea. spoonfuls of this honey. Yeah, it's, she's putting a normal amount of honey that would go in this you know size cup of tea. But obviously the mom was giving her like tiny little doses exactly. of this shit. Which reminded me of uh, the tragic story of that ghost in The Sixth Sense. Her mom was poisoning her. But anyways. Um, Spoiler alert. Fuck, dude. <laughs> now I know Bruce Willis is dead in The Sixth Sense. <laughs> <laughs> and so since she gives her this extra dose of poison, obviously, boom, she dies right there on the bed. So... Um, once the mom finds her dead, she has to kind of cover her tracks here, uh, or else everyone, everyone's going to find out that she has this whole poison situation going. So she intentionally throws her off of the thing to make it look like a suicide. She intentionally carves the scratches into her back to make it seem like it's the spirits. Um, and she's been playing this game ever since. And then eventually she gets a letter of someone saying that they know that she murdered her kid. And so she gets blackmailed and therefore she's paying money all the time to this person who's blackmailing her so that her secret doesn't get out that she murdered her own daughter, which is why she's been trying to murder tonight the people that she's most suspicious that are the person blackmailing her. So she thinks that the psychic could be blackmailing her because the psychic reached out to her. To say, hey, I want to come do the seance at your house because I've gotten a message from the other side. And then, which, you know, it turns out it's just the fucking writer who sent that message to her. Right. And she actually had nothing to do with this. But then she also suspects that it was the doctor because the doctor may have determined that in the in the, the daughter's autopsy. But he didn't want to tell anyone because he wanted to blackmail her. So then she you know ends up killing the doctor by essentially what happens is because that room is locked. She calls into the room to a secret phone in the room and convinces him to kill himself or she's going to kill his son who was outside of the room that's locked. So he can't get out, which, by the way, if you call me and you say, hey, I'm going to kill your son, by the way, um, I don't give a fuck if you have a little twist lock on that door. I'm busting that shit. <laughs> like you fucking yeah. pussy. You were like, man, I guess I have to kill myself then because this door is locked. Fuck, dude. No, you're not keeping me in that room. That is some of the worst logic ever. Like kill yourself or I'll kill so-and-so like you have zero control now if you kill yourself on what actually happens. Yeah. That's the worst decision you can make anyways. Um, yeah. So it it was the mom and she's been doing this this whole time. Uh, you got busted, bitch. You got caught. Now again, the detective has explained and given reason to some of the most paranormal shit. However, 
Once the mom flees, runs up to the top of the building on the balcony. And I would have gotten away with it, too, if it weren't for you <laughs> fucking... You're not kids, but you know what I'm trying to say. I would have gotten away for it if it wasn't for you damn kids and that meddling dog. What dog? Sorry, I had some of that honey earlier. Yeah. I am tripping <laughs> balls, dude. This shit's rocks. Um, you know what? I would have gotten away with it, too, if it weren't for the fact that you brought the world's greatest detective into here and made him <laughs> investigate me. Yeah. Once she, once she kind of tries to flee and gets caught on the top little balcony right where her daughter had died previously, we get another instance of this where lightning flashes and her daughter's body is floating in the air behind her eventually grabbing the mother and pulling her to her death. Right. And we get a great shot, too, of her landing in the water. Oh, this was so good. I love this so much. If you want to talk about it, I, I, uh, go for it, because you're wrapping it up. But I love that a lot, too. No, I mean, uh, it's pretty simple, but it's just very effective in the way it was shot. She lands in the water and starts sinking towards the bottom. And it's like an abyss-type shot, where it's right. just black. And we've seen... Uh, they've kept, you know, repeated a shot of the daughter in the water of her with her eyes open, landing into the water and just like looking ghostly. And then this is kind of like a repeat of that shot. And it's just this black abyss with just the faintest of blue light on the mom. Um, and then just below her is just the like faded figure of her daughter, like reaching out to her and they don't show too much detail. And it's just this really like subtle thing. And it was just done so well. I loved it. Same. And again, I know I keep saying it, but the fact that they don't overdo it with like music or anything to make it this majestic. No, it's very this is called haunting in Venice and haunting is about that sparse feeling, that very otherworldly, just liminal like feeling. And uh, holding back from using music is one of the things that this movie does so much better than other movies I've seen. It's so awesome anyways um so there's your big essentially finale but we obviously get a bunch of wrap-up and one day later type shit um uh, so it's now dawn and everything's getting wrapped up and, and then we get the biggest spoiler of the whole thing it turns out the whole time it was the doctor's son who was blackmailing the mom <gasps> Yeah, the son was like, well, I, it's not my fault. He's like, it's all my fault. And the detective's like, don't blame yourself. Like, there was no way for you to know that her giving you guys money was going to lead to her murdering your dad. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. You know, but at the same time, you were also kind of poking the bear. You already knew she was capable of murder. Uh, True. The bitch crazy. All right? Kid <laughs> logic. God. Kid logic. Dumb um, fucking dude. I don't care how smart every adult tells you you are. You're a dumb piece of shit. <laughs> you don't know shit about fun. your glasses. Don't fool me. All right. <laughs> um, so that, the that kid, is kind of the kid's design. It's like kid with glasses and comb over hair. That means he's smart. <laughs> nerd. Um, but yeah, uh, so the kid is going to go live with the housekeeper now. And the detective suggests, hey, maybe you should use some of that money that you have to help these kids get to, which we didn't mention specifically, these kids dream. This is how sad their fucking life is. <laughs> these two uh, assistants to the to the medium, their dream in life is to go to Missouri. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they watched some fucking movie that takes place in St. Louis, Missouri, and they were like, no one was hungry. I was like, yeah, I know. No one's fucking hungry in St. Louis. Yeah, he's eating barbecue, bro. Yeah, he's eating barbecue all um, fucking day. So, <laughs> so he says you should use some of that money to help them get to Missouri. So again, we're just wrapping up everyone's story. Everyone's happy. Everyone's good. 
And then we get this last little interaction between the writer and the detective in which <laughs> I don't remember too much. <laughs> Basically, the detective is like, come on, you saw something in there. And he's like, listen, I'm not going to say whether or not I think I saw a ghost or not. But what I will say is something has changed. Oh, yeah. He says uh, he says something along the lines of I, I've learned that whether ghosts are real or not, you can't run from them. So, yeah, it's just fun. Of course, you want to get some cool little dialogue because this is, you know, based off of like an Agatha Christie story. So you're you're expecting something very literary and this some kind of message, which I, I liked the amount of what I got out of this movie of that. I was very like hand in, in, you know, hand over my chin throughout this whole movie of just interpreting all the words, which I enjoyed. I like this last little message. Yeah. And then he goes uh, back to his home where he decides to start actually taking the cases of the people who have been lining up side of his door every day. Yeah, let's End go of his movie. ego, and, and it, there seems to be a new spirit, uh, pun intended, um, with him deciding, wanting to actually do some detective work and help people out. Um, so that's the f- final little thing you get, and then movie over. Um, so there we go. That is Haunting in Venice. Uh, Dave, I do have a couple of questions here. Let me, sorry, I wrote them down on my phone so I wouldn't forget Okay. Uh, okay. What was your favorite part of the movie, and what was your least favorite part of the movie? I actually don't feel comfortable talking about that. I don't feel comfortable. That's too personal. Oh, okay. That's that's between me. Okay. And I don't want that on between, the podcast. Okay. Well, hypothetically speaking, what was your favorite part of the movie and your least favorite part of the movie? Oh, if, you, if it's hypothetical, I would say <laughs> my favorite part of the movie, I already talked about it. It's the basement scene. Um, it was just the spookiest part of the movie, and I thought it was shot really well and edited really well. My least favorite part of this movie, I mean, I guess it's just all of the things that are just prototypical Ag- Agatha Christie, you know, this like... I knew it was going to be the mom. I just didn't know how because she was the least suspected person and it's always that person. So like that was a little bit predictable. Yeah. You know, and I think that the mystery is not played up as much as the spookiness is. And so in terms of a mystery novel, it doesn't grab my attention for the aspects of it being spooky. You know what I'm saying? So it's like part of me wanted it to just be a ghost. (laughs) And like, that's not how I feel when I read mystery novels. You know, I don't ever want it to be the ghost in those. So maybe that's just me wanting because, you know, Halloween spooktacular, that type of thing. Daniel, is there anything you want to talk about with the movie? Um, Maybe your favorite part, maybe your least favorite part? Not really. It's just too personal. I don't really want to share that stuff. I understand. I understand completely. Um, Hypothetically speaking, what would be your favorite part of the movie and your least favorite part? Okay, uh, hypothetically? Yeah. yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, so my favorite part, hypothetically, is uh, <laughs> uh, I have not, at, le- at least if I have, I don't remember it. I've never seen a murder mystery m- fused with this spooky, uh, creepy ghost shit. And I think it totally works. It is very engaging, very entertaining to have both of those fused together this well. Um, I would say that and obviously the choice of when to play music and when not to play music were just so well done. Um, My least favorite part of the movie is the amount of those overhead shallow depth of field shots from above the characters heads where they're in the very bottom left for the frame headache inducing shots i cannot stand them so yeah just not a fan of like the weirdo fucking shots that just got overdone it just felt too much the rating for this one is 
a little bit hard for me because I'm so biased. I don't want to give it a boosted score, <laughs> but I really, really love movies like this. But the, I, okay, here's what I'll say. This movie is a, to me, a six out of 10 only because the rewatchability of these movies is nothing. If it weren't for that, it would be a seven easily. I feel you. I agree on the rewatchabilities, any murder mystery, hard to rewatch, but at the same time, I remember rewatching Knives Out and I was like, this is still fucking good. So, you know, I'm going to change my score. <laughs> I'm going to change my score because of what you just said. This, this because I am going to rewatch this movie. I know I am. Mm -hmm. So I'm giving it a seven. All right. And I'm right in the middle. I'm going to give it a 6.5 out of 10. Doesn't quite reach the seven for me, but it was a good movie. It was a straight up good movie. And highly recommended before the spooky season is over. Go watch this one in theaters. I do recommend this one. I think it's worth watching most definitely. It's a good time. All right. With that said, we're going to go into part two where we're going to go online. We're going to look up some stuff about the movie and we're going to see if there's anything that's special about the movie. And we're going to see if anybody says anything cool about the movie. Maybe. Maybe. We'll have a spooky Halloween spooktacular special segment for you guys. Or maybe not. Or maybe not. Maybe you'll have to wait and see. Stick around and find out. See you soon. Welcome to part two. That's scary. That's scary. Welcome to part two. Got your ass. He got your ass. Uh, did you guys stick around? Did you stick around? Did you? Are you guys ready for our new segment? The new segment this week for the Halloween Spooktacular is I'm going to read some trivia and Daniel's going to read comments online <laughs> from people. I know. Spooky. Is that a ghost sound? Is that a ghost sound? Is that a ghost sound? Like? Sounds like a turkey player. All right. Uh, so this movie came out on the 15th of September, and it is the third installment uh, by Kenneth Branig. Branig? Branig. Branog? Branog. Branog. This is his third Agatha Christie movie that he's done, and this one is uh, was released on what would have been her 133rd birthday. So nice little special. Like, hey, shout out to them for releasing in this, but we know why they really did it. We know they really wanted to be part of the spooktacular. Uh, they, that's the real reason they did it on this date. They got a they got a little hint that we might be starting early this year, and they are like, "We got to be involved in we that." We got to be involved. I love those guys. Uh, something that I thought was really cool for this movie is that um, Kenneth Branagh uh, he worked with the technical department to cause surprises for the cast. The actors were not warned about lights going out suddenly or a gust of wind and slamming doors on set in which they worked, causing genuine confused and startled reactions from actors to appear in the film. Ah, <gasps> Jesus Christ! <laughs> Jesus Christ! I scared the Jesus out of me. Perot suggests that Leopold, the uh, little kid, should be reading Dickens instead of uh, Edgar Allan Poe. And uh, apparently in the other two movies the previous to this, he's seen reading um, Dickens books in those two movies. So that's like a thing for him. But what's interesting is that 
The book that he's reading in Death of the Nile is an infamous book that's called The Mystery of Edwin Drood. So apparently uh, this book is infamous because it's a mystery novel where the murderer is never revealed because uh, Charles Dickens died before he could finish writing the book. And it's just interesting. It's like when you think of these Agatha Christie novels, it's like there's no way to predict how the person killed. Like you probably predict who did it, but never how, because it's always something that was never talked about or brought up. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, like there's no way for us to have known that the honey was poisonous. You know what I'm saying? Like just shit like that, where it's like, could you imagine reading a novel like that? And the end, it just ends in the middle of the, the third act. And you're just like, well, fuck me. Yeah. <laughs> Be the least satisfying thing ever. But, um, the mystery of all mysteries though. Correct. Yeah. Uh, but no, that's all I had. Uh, most of the trivia about this is just talking about the comparisons between this and the other two uh, ones. Uh, someone said, I was hoping that the bird was going to snitch. Um, I did, too. I just thought it was interesting how it's almost like a red herring. Like, yeah, they introduce this bird. Oh, he hasn't talked since she died. And then he says Alicia when the seance is happening. Right. So it's just like you think it's going to be a bigger part of it. And then it ends up not really. Well, you know, it's a fucking it's a bird, not a rat. Hey, 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 someone said. So, you know how titles the they have they're italicized and then they have the year that they can't the movie came out. That's important for this comment because it is a tau size. It says Kenneth Branagh discovers the Dutch angle again, 2023. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, just thought that was funny because that was one of my complaints. In the movie, my least favorite part of the movie was the amount of weird shots. So that was a haunting in Venice. Ooh, so scary. So scary. And that was part two of the Halloween spooktacular. And it's only going to get more horrific and spookier and scarier from here. It's only going to get spookier. Now, I can't promise the next movie is going to go up from a six and a seven. So <laughs> just true. wouldn't expect that. Let's be no, real. Let's be yeah. realistic. All right. If you guys haven't been listening, uh, you know, that's a pretty unrealistic expectation. But but it is going to be fun and we are going to have yes. a good time and we're going to stay spooky, scary skeletons. And we hope to get you guys in the same spooky spooky mood um and if you are feeling spooked if you do feel this affecting you and getting you ready for the spooky season let us know and you can let us know by hitting us up on social media we are at wild dream pod on instagram twitter i said it i don't give a fuck and tiktok so please hit us up and uh, guess what ton of spooky content coming out on the instagram so go check it out that's true we, right? we've been putting out some stuff man so you go check it out um, share it with all your friends tell all your friends tell all your coworkers. tell everyone you meet on the street we thank you we thank you and, and i promise you. we are not gonna scare you anymore on this podcast there's no yeah, more spooky all the spooky is over it's all done so you can rest easy thank you guys Bro, I got gotcha. you. Scared you. Scared you.